You are listening to Pastor Scott Rising of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Only One Fountain, recorded on June 16, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Scott as he preaches. Hello, Harvest Community Church. It's great to be with you today here in Catanning. Um, listen, I hope that, that you listened to the sermon last week as Pastor Mike kicked off our sermon series in the Ten Commandments. Uh, it was an introductory sermon, but it was actually, it's so important that if you did not listen to that sermon, I'm going to ask that you would go back this week, make time to listen to that sermon, because it really sets the groundwork for everything that we're going to build upon this summer. And, and I want you to have that information of, of this grace, this law that he preached as, as he was working through that sermon. And speaking of Pastor Mike, Listen, he's not here tonight, or today I should say, because he's in Indiana, right? We're one church that meets in four locations, and he's at the Indiana location, and it's my joy to be with you today as we continue through this series, right? So listen, we got the first commandment today, right? In, in ancient cultures, it, all of life revolved around worship right? People would gather sometimes around trees. They would gather in sanctuaries, in temples, and even stadiums to worship their deities. Um, Many times they would offer sacrifices. They would offer their time, their talent, their treasure in hopes to get whatever this God that they were worshiping, what that God had to offer. And many times it was very common to have many different gods in different cultures, and, and not much has actually changed in our day and age. Although I think we've become a little more clever about the way that we would do it. I think you'd still see it if you'll look around. As a matter of fact, there was a time that I was, uh, I was hanging out with a friend, and he was from India. And we were in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, and we're driving through. And as we're driving through, he noticed that there's these, these rodents on every corner of Punxsutawney, right? And he is like, what is up with this, this creature that you guys have in every corner in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania? And I was like, well, that's a groundhog. He's like, no, I understand that. Do these people worship this creature? Right. And, and here's the thing. Like, if you've ever been in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, you might think the same thing because on every corner they got, they got a groundhog that's dressed like a fireman and a policeman. And you might think this is the God who protects houses from fires. This is the God who brings law and order. We think it's funny because we've never been to other cultures where they have this kind of craziness going on. But I want you to know nothing's changed in our day and age right? If you drive around, I think you'll notice a bumper sticker, and it says coexist, right? You've seen this? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I would say that they're even more common than maybe the fish or the cross on many cars. I know that that's true in the big city of Indiana. I see coexist all over the place, and I'm not surprised because it's a college town. See, we live in a society that embraces diversity, And many times that's a beautiful thing, right? It's not always bad. We love different types of what? Music, television, sports. We love the the freedom that comes with having different lifestyles, different types of things that we can choose and enjoy all throughout our culture. However, our inclusivity does not stop there. Many times we, our spiritual culture within the United States, loves to believe that there are many different gods, although they would not say that. 
right? That there's many ways and many paths to this, this one God, right? It's common to hear that phrase, all paths lead to God. Have you heard that? Or how about this one? It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in something. But here's the question. Is this true? Is that statement true? Are there many gods? And, and do all paths ultimately lead to this one true God? Well, let's see what the, the one true God actually has to say on this subject. Look at Exodus 20. One through three. We're going to be looking at the first commandment, but I want to read the two verses prior to it. So listen as I read Exodus 20, one through three, follow along in your Bible. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's our first commandment. That's what we're going to be working on. This is foundational to all the other commandments as it follows. See, I love that we don't have to guess on the subject. God tells us. He spoke these words. It says God spoke all these words. Moses comes down and he brings the word of God to people. We have the Bible in a language that we can understand it so that we can understand what this one true God has plainly spoken to humanity. See, here's the thing. We don't have to guess. He is the one true God. There is no other God. He tells us right there. But notice, listen, in our current culture, it is considered arrogant to say that there's only one God and that all other people ultimately worship false gods. Or even Paul would go as far as to say demons. Now, here, now here's the thing. That's not where this starts, though. It starts with this one true God giving good news of deliverance, of freedom. Do you see it there? This God just delivered his people out of Egypt. Right, question, do you remember why he did this? Why did he set his people free? For those who were at the, uh, the, the Old Testament, right? Moses, you remember that? Where he splits the Red Sea and he marches his people out of Egypt into freedom. Do you remember why? Well, let's remind ourselves. Let's remind ourselves of what God sent Moses with the message to Pharaoh. In Exodus seven sixteen, it says this, And you will say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go. Why? That they may serve or worship me in the wilderness. See, see Israel was saved to worship. Israel existed to glorify God, to make his name great among all the nations. God in his loving kindness set his people free. And then, it's only then that he gives them the Ten Commandments. Why? So that they might know how to live in this freedom. I, don't miss this. This is so important to everything we're going to work on for the rest of the summer. See, they were set free and then they were, they were given these commandments as a gift. Why? To essentially learn to live within the boundaries that God had created to enjoy the freedom that he had given them. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. They still don't know how to live as a free people because Israel, just like us, have always struggled with idolatry. You might be thinking, no, 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 I didn't. Well, listen, remember the Ten Commandments, right? They are not given so that they could earn their freedom. They were already set free. These 10 commandments were actually given to these people so that in gratitude, we could worship and enjoy the one true God who already set them free. The 10 commandments are not given as like this ladder to work our way towards freedom and to, to work our way towards joy. No, many people think that the 10 commandments steal joy from us. 
But nothing could be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, the Ten Commandments teach us how to walk in the fullness of joy, in the presence of God. The boundaries are set up for our goodness from a good God, which is the first point on the map. See, God sets his people free. And our response should be to worship. Worship is to glorify and magnify God, to live in complete loyalty and genuine love to this one true God. Right? That's so true. See, God demands exclusive worship. God alone demands this. See, he owns everything in this world, and that includes us. See, remember that, that God, he, he's just flexed his muscles over all the false gods of Egypt. Do you remember? Do you remember the 10 plagues? Let's go through a few of them, right? The first plague where God turned the Nile into blood was poking a finger in their false God that they would worship. They worshiped the Nile. They worshiped the God of the Nile. And he showed in judgment that he has power over this God. This God is puny. This God does not exist. How about the second plague, right? I love this one. God brought up all these different frogs from the Nile, okay? Now, here's the thing. Why did he do that? was in order to show the Egyptians that their frog-headed goddess, who apparently had all power over, over the, the birth of the people who would give birth, to the, the moms that would give birth to the children, they would worship this god so that they could get fertile. Now that's insanity. And you and I would say that's insanity. But God brought all these frogs up out of the Nile and into their homes. And guess what? The frogs are protected, so they can't kill the frogs. So imagine, as this little god's hopping around, he's slowly dying all over the land. Imagine the stench that their goddess left. That's just two plagues. How about if we jump to the ninth, right? The ninth plague, where God blacks out the sun. Why does he do that? Because they worship this god named Ra, right? They worship the the sun god, and God blacks out the sun, for three days to show he has power over their God. But he gives light to his people to show that I'm going to care for you. And then there's the last plague where he actually takes the firstborn of all the people in in Egypt and he sends the angel of death over to take them out, the firstborn of every family. But we all know that the Exodus, it says they put blood over their their doorposts. Why? So that the Lord would pass over the people of Israel. And they would eat the lamb, they would eat the unleavened bread, and it would not be long before Pharaoh would say, get them out of here. And they would march through the Red Sea and into freedom. Why did God do this? Why did he do this? It was in order to show his people that he's alive, right? And that he's worthy of Israel's worship to show the Egyptians that their gods were nothing, They had no power. The great I am was saying, in a sense, I am, and therefore they are not. You worship what you do not know. They are not existent. They were created by man, and they were worshipped by man. But he is the one true God who has never been created. He's always existed, and we, we need to worship him. We desperately need him. Right? We're his creation, and make no mistake about it, he created us to enjoy him to love him, to find our pleasure and our satisfaction in him. And when we do, it makes him look great. It brings him glory. And see, it's not because God needs anything. God does not need anything. If God needed something, then that would make a pretty pathetic God. God doesn't need anything. We need him. We desperately need to worship this one true God. See, 
This is why you and I exist. Look at Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. It says, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Oh, it's so good to know why we exist. There's many people I run into, they don't know why they exist. You and I don't have to guess. The Bible tells us we're created to glorify God. That's why we exist, people. Now, now here's the thing. By the time Israel would have went through the Red Sea, think about what they had witnessed. They were in slavery for over 400 years. And God shows up on the scene, and it's not long before they are let go. And they see a clear picture of God's power, His protection, and His plan for them, right? He is a faithful God, and He's showing His faithfulness. He did everything to convince them of the evidence that he is the one true God. And they should worship him and glorify him and enjoy him forever. It should be easy to see, right? 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 Yes. I would think it would be super easy. I I think back, if that were me, I would never want to worship another God. He just showed he's the one God. But imagine you and I witnessed this great display of awesomeness from this one true God. You would think that we'd glorify him all the day long. We would trust him no matter what he had to say, that this would lead to glorifying him. Sadly, if you know the story, many failed to give God glory. Many failed to trust him, which led to many trials, many tribulations. And here's the thing. I bet many of you are sitting here right now today saying, what a bunch of idiots these people were, right? Yeah, I, I would think so. But, here, but here's the thing. You might even be thinking, well, this, this, I don't even know if this first message is for me because I'm not an idolater. I'm not an idolater. I don't have some totem pole in my backyard that I bow down to. I know people mention about the Christmas tree having some pagan roots, but I don't worship my Christmas tree. I worship Jesus, right? You ever said that? You might think that. Well, let me tell you right now that this commandment is so relevant for your life. You think, I don't worship other gods, but we just become more slick about it, if we could be honest. And see, here's the thing. I want to ensure you this matters greatly for you because we are just like these people, just like the Israelites of that time. We have seen greater revelation through Christ, right? We have seen this full plan unfolded. We know what's to come through the book of Revelation, and yet you and I, we worship at broken cisterns all the time. Here's the thing. Everyone everywhere is continually worshiping someone or something. Here's the, we're not just born to worship. We are born worshiping. There is no neutral in our lives. I had the privilege of um, being in Maine last year with my family. And there's this beautiful spot in Acadia National Park, and it's called Cadillac Mountain. And I went up there. It's the highest point, and, and you got to see the uh, sunset over the ocean. By the way, they say the sunrise is much more amazing. It's the first place in the eastern part of the United States you actually see the sun come up. But we're more of a sunset family because you have to get up at like 4 a.m., right? Not doing that. So here's the deal. We watched the sunset, and it was amazing. And everywhere I look, man, there are people worshiping. They are in awe. They are taking pictures. You don't have to tell them to do that. They are doing it, right? Now, here's the thing. Are they worshiping the God who created this, this wonderful sunset, or are they worshiping maybe the creation? 
But make no mistake about it, they're worshiping someone or something because everyone worships all the time, right? Muslims, Hindus, spiritual people, agnostic, yes, even atheists worship all the day long. They worship science. They worship their intellect. The worship is not the problem. It's the object that they direct their love and attention to that could potentially be the problem. Ultimately, we will either worship the one true God or we will worship a a thing that's made in probably our image, if we could be honest, right? We worship creature rather than creator. If you don't worship the one true God, you're worshiping something. Make no mistake about it. Because we're created to do so. You may choose the, the who or the what you worship, but you and I do not get to choose whether we worship. We do. Look at Jeremiah 2, 11 through 13 with me, okay? 11 says, Has a nation changed its God? Right? Even though they are no, there are no gods. But my people have changed their glory for which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. At what? Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. So pay attention, because I don't want you to miss them. What are the two evils that God's people have committed? One, they have forsaken me. They've abandoned God, right? Who is the fountain of living waters, it says. And they have hewed out cisterns for themselves. But they're broken cisterns. They can hold no water. All right, let's talk for a minute. Here's the deal. What is a cistern? It's not common language in our culture. But a cistern was really essentially a big whale, right? These people lived in the desert, so they would dig and they would dig and they would dig. And the one thing that they desperately need is water. So they would dig these huge, huge whales or cisterns in the desert. And when it would rain one or two, three times a year, all the water would run into these and fill up. And it was essentially the life source. If you had no water in the desert, you would die right? They needed water. And God's using this to teach his people. Listen, I am the fountain of living water, God is saying. I supply life. I supply the pleasures that you're seeking, the satisfaction you long for. And you, you've abandoned me. That's one evil. But then you've not only abandoned me, but you've went digging in the mud, making idols, making gods, seeking the life and the satisfaction that I can supply you nonstop, but you're seeking that in other gods. That's the second great evil. Do you see that? See, we do this. We do this. Those are the two great evils, which leads us to our second point. See, idolatry is exchanging and replacing God as our proper object of worship and finding our delight in anything or anyone more than we find it in the one true God. We've all done this. See, drinking from the broken cisterns of idolatry It not only breaks the commandment, it does. But as God's people, it breaks God's heart. So don't miss the relational piece to this. I think it's easy for me, if I I think about it, to break commandments because it seems so impersonal. But when I actually think about grieving God's heart, it's another story. So if you're in Christ, I want you to know, like when you break a commandment, God's not going to kick you out of his family, but you grieve your father's heart. You grieve his heart. And this grieves his heart. See, when you and I elevate someone or something above his greatness, which really is just laughable when you think about it, we are actually committing the greatest act of betrayal possible. It's treason, right? Imagine, think about it in in terms of marriage. 
Imagine if I come home and I, I tell my wife, I'm like, Jesse, I just want you to know, like, baby, you're my wife. I love you. I married you first. You're my girl. I got you. Right. But there's like a couple of days a week where you're really busy. And um, so I got a couple other girls on the side. And so I'm going to start enjoying them. But I don't I want you to know I'm not actually putting them above you. They're not even really as good as you. They're just cutting some girls I got on the side. Right. This is what people do. We say we love God. We do. But then we love all these other things just as much as we Say we love him, and God will have none of it. He will have none of it. He will have no gods before him, beside him, behind him, period. He wants all of you. He wants all of your worship. And guess what? That's good for you. That's good for your heart. That's good when the child of God seeks all his happiness in this one true God. And make no mistake about it. When we're not drinking from this one fountain of living waters, then we are drinking sewage that comes from broken cisterns. And it might satisfy for a while, but I promise you, it's never going to quench your thirst because you were created for so much more than what that sewage or broken cistern can actually promise. But this is the struggle of the human heart. It is. You need to understand this. Otherwise, you'll not grasp all that's going to be said after this in the rest of the commandments, because this is the one domino that makes everyone else fall. I promise you, we must get this right. This is why the Apostle John said in 1 John at the end of, of his, his book, 1 John chapter 5, he finishes with this sentence. He says, little children, imagine this old guy who just loves the church. He says, little children, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from idols. We must be on guard, Harvest Community Church, against idolatry. This isn't for just some other culture that has like bones through their nose and things in their ears. No, this is for you. I'm talking about you, those who make idols of the heart. We must know that all the sin that follows, that, that the commandments are going to be built upon, flows from this one thing of valuing God more than we or valuing something above this one true God, right? And so many people have wrote extensively on this subject. You know, I never even thought about this when I was first saved. I never thought that I, I worshipped other things. When God rescued me, I start reading different authors. I start to realize, man, I've always been a worshiper. I've always worshipped someone or something. I just never worshipped the one true God. And it was heartbreaking to see. As a matter of fact, Tim Keller has wrote many great things on this. Dick Keyes and David Palson, who actually, he died this past Friday, went to be with the Lord. He knows to die is gain right now. So what I'm about to go through is I'm going to try to help us diagnose our hearts before the Lord, right? To see if there's anything that we're elevating above this one true God so that you can have the gift of repentance, right? So, so as I work through this, I want you to know this language is not mostly, mostly not mine, right? You're like, man, this dude's smart. I'm really not. There's some really smart guys, and I've read them. And so I just want you to know this is where much of this information is coming from. But I'm going to read some questions, and I want you to think about it, you personally, right now, because it's going to help you diagnose as to whether you are worshiping potentially a false god. This is for you, not your neighbor, right? Ready? Okay. So what do you worry about most? That might be an indicator as to whether you have a false god in your life. What, what would really make you happy? Is it something or someone other than Jesus? What do you use to comfort yourself when things get really bad? Do you run to like 
cookies and ice cream. By the way, I do that. But I want you to know, I thank Jesus for it, right? Do you run, do you, do you run to bacon, right? You might run to these things and you're not worshiping. So I just want to make sure I temper that. But maybe you do. What are your release valves when things get wrecked, right? What do you do to feel better? What preoccupies your mind? Or what do you daydream about? What is the thing you're thinking about? What's murmuring in the back of your mind constantly? What makes you feel the most self-worth when you think about it? Let me ask you this. What prayer, if unanswered, would make you seriously reconsider as to whether you want to follow Jesus? Think about this. What's your hope for the future? Is it your 401k or is it the one who is sovereign over it? Because these questions can help diagnose as to whether you may be putting your affections, your talent, your treasure, and everything towards something other than God. And if that's the case, well, then I got some good news for you, but hang in there because I still want to keep diagnosing, right? So what are some of these idols that we run to? And I think I got it narrowed down to four. And so listen, we're going to go to the first one, broken cistern of comfort, Okay? And you're like, comfort? Yeah, hang in there. So, quote, like, life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have this kind of pleasure experience or particularly like a quality of life. You may worship comfort. That's the first, let's call it broken cistern that people drink from. What do you seek? Well, obviously you seek comfort, but how do you do that? Maybe privacy, lack of stress, freedom from any responsibility, right? The price you're willing to pay, well, you're reduced productivity. You don't really care if you accomplish much as long as you're not bothered. What's your greatest nightmare? Probably stress, maybe demands, right? Other people in your life often feel hurt by you. Why? Because you're checked out, you're watching Netflix, and you don't really care about them, right? You ever met this person? Maybe you are this person. Problem emotion, you're bored. Shocker, right? Or how about this? In regards to money, I mean, you earn and spend money in an attempt to make your life more cushy, right? You got all the soft things. You, you make sure that your worship arena is set up, right? You got your big screen TV. You got the best little couch that money could buy. You have this little, little snuggie that you snuggle up to, and you worship comfort. And anything that gets in your way of that, well, you make sure that you get it out of there. You're eating Cheetos, right? Just enjoying life. You ever been there? Maybe you know someone. You're probably like, yes, that's my 15-year-old son. Or maybe you're like, it's my 30-year-old son, right? Well, hang in there. Hopefully, they'll change. What about the broken cistern of approval, right? This is very common. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I am loved or respected by fill in the blank, right? Maybe it's a child, Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your coworkers. Maybe it's people within ministry that you so desperately want their approval that you're willing to do anything to get it. What do you seek? Well, you seek approval, but how do you do it? Well, you want affirmation. You want love. You want relationships. And by the way, not all of that's bad. We're wired to want these things. But when we start to elevate it above the worship of this one true God, it insults him, right? Because in Christ, you are approved of. So don't forget that. But, but what's the price you're willing to pay if you worship approval? Well, less independence, right? Because your life is filled with people. What's your greatest nightmare? Well, it's rejection, 
Well, you, I can't imagine. Why did Susie not like that Facebook post? I mean, she's been on for three hours. I noticed that she liked, you know, Catherine's about three hours ago. And I posted this and mine was way more profound than hers. I bet she didn't even see it. And you know what? Oh, Johnny didn't invite me to his graduation party. <gasps> Why? You feel rejected. Well, maybe because you worship approval. Others generally around you feel smothered. You're like a tick that's just trying to suck the life out of everybody you come in contact with. And, and, and you felt that. You might have done that. Your problem emotions, cowardice. Because you would never say anything that might cause somebody to think that you are not sweet as pie. Right? Now, you might say it in another circle, which is why many circles, you're just different because you want their approval no matter where you find yourself. So you don't even know who you are half the time. In regards to money, you spend lots of money on gadgets and on other things in an attempt to get them to say, you're the coolest. Why? Because you have the most amazing iPhone ever. High five, right? Or you got the jersey or you got this. You want people so desperately to approve of you. And you might be thinking, man, he's like, he's kicking our butt. Hang in there. I'm in this with you, by the way. I've drank from these cisterns. They come up bankrupt every time. What's your worship arena look like? Social media. Social media, you're just dying for people. Just like my stuff, please. Tell me how awesome I am. How about the broken cistern of control? That's the third one. Control, right? Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I'm able to get mastery over my life in this arena. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's parenting. Maybe it's the workplace. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's fantasy football. I don't know what it is, but you have to have control what do you seek? Well, obviously you seek control. You do it maybe through self-discipline, through, through particular standards and checklists, right? You know this guy uh, or gal? The price you're willing to pay is loneliness. And you'll never do anything spontaneous, right? Because that'd be way too out of the realm of, of control, and you might not be able to control that. Your greatest nightmare is uncertainty, right? Someone did something that fit outside my swim lane. You might go crazy when that happens. And generally, Others around you feel condemned. They feel condemned because they can't live up to your standard. And ultimately, they're outside your control and it bothers you. Your problem emotion is worry. You're always biting your fingernails down to the nub. And in regards to money, well, many times they're, they're known more for how they save than how much they spend, but they know where every penny goes. And as a matter of fact, if you don't, they look down the nose of the person who doesn't have such good control over their money, and they think, I wish they would just let me take control of their checking book. Then I'd be able to help them, right? And, and, and what's their worship arena look like? Better homes and gardens right? I mean, it's just fabulous. It's beautiful. There's no dog hair. There's no dust. I mean, it basically is. It's, it's nirvana. It's heaven. Everything has its place. And if it gets out of that place, oh, I'm going to go crazy, right? How about the last one, the fourth one, the broken cistern of power, right? Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have power and influence over others. What do we seek? Well, you seek power through success, through winning, through influence, by being the best at everything. And by the way, I'm all for competition. I love competition. It's not a bad thing. But if you have, like, if your life gets crushed because you don't win something, there might be a red flag. That might be a sign, right? What, what are you willing to pay? Well, you're willing to pay being burdened, which might seem strange, or responsibility. Why? Because you want to have power over this thing. Your greatest nightmare is humiliation. 
Right? You couldn't stand to ever look foolish in front of anyone because you have to show everyone that you have it together. Many people around you feel used because you're just a pawn in their game. Problem emotion, it's always anger with this guy or with this girl. Because I'm telling you, if it doesn't go right, you will feel their wrath. In regards to money, they're motivated to earn more, to own more, and to spend more than anyone because that makes them feel powerful. In an attempt to prop up their ego, they'll surround themselves with people who will always high-five them and tell them how great they are. And their worship arena looks like a chessboard, and you might just be a pawn on it, and they're always moving you around. And until you don't do what they want you to do, and then they just flick you off the board because I don't need you. Right? Now, here's the thing. You have drank from one of these broken cisterns. You might be sitting there thinking, oh, no, I'm in trouble. I've, br- I've drank from all four of them. Matter of fact, I have jumped in them, swam around them, and like slurped it up to the bottom. Right? Have you ever been there? I have been. I have been. And these things will exhaust you. If you're like me, I have definitely drank from these. But the question is, why? Why did you do that? It's not more complicated than this. We don't like God telling us what to do. And so we create our own. And that's why we worship there. We attempt to run to the one who will not disagree with us, to the one who will not make us uncomfortable. But here's the thing. You and I make horrible gods. We make horrible gods. I make a horrible God. I don't have power over anything. I'm not in control of anything. I am under the one who has all power, who's the one who has control over everything. And I am happiest when I am submitted to this one true God. We need Christ. See, you and I make horrible gods, and there are no other gods. We're not meant to be worshipped. We can't handle the weight of the responsibility that this puts on us. So what do we do? What do we do about this? Well, make no mistake about it. See, one preacher said it like this, because we worship our way into sin, you and I must worship our way out. We must worship our way out by worshiping this one true God in Him alone. See, we must repent. We must turn from these broken cisterns that we've been drinking from, and we must run to the fountain of living water. See, there are no other gods. I idolatry will drain you because the God that you're worshiping can never satisfy you. It can never give you what you long for because what you long for is this one true God. But yet you and I in our exhaustion are a bunch of like idolatrous whores running around trying to get satisfaction from gods who can never satisfy. And this is why and if you're, if you're there right now and you're like, I've been, I've been worshiping from all these different cisterns, this is grace in your life if you recognize it, if you'll receive it, if you'll name it, if you'll tell God, I have been worshiping at these other broken cisterns, but I want to worship you. God, help me. This could be the most freeing day or message you've ever heard in your entire life. Because he longs for you to come to him and to drink and to be satisfied. Why? Because he's a good father. Remember, this commandment was given to you so that you might enjoy the freedom that he's already given you. Right? Do you see that? See, turn from these worthless idols. They, they don't give you life. As a matter of fact, they drain you of life. They promise to give you life, but they never satisfy. They can't. They cannot, which is why Jesus came. Look at 1 Peter 3.18 with me. It says, because what we need is that we need the gospel. We need good news. 
And, and here's some for you. It says, for Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? Why did he do that? Look what it says, so that he might bring us to God. Now you think back right now to Jeremiah, to the text where we abandoned God. We did abandon God. Jesus came so that we'd come back to this one true God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So Jesus comes and he accomplished many things in his coming. But the one thing he accomplished was making a way for sinners, for idolaters like you and I to come and to worship and to drink from the one fountain that can actually satisfy your soul so that you can feel replenished. Instead of gone to comfort, remind yourself that Jesus has given you real comfort in the presence of God. Instead of seeking power, submit yourself to the one who actually has power over all things and everything he says is true. Instead of seeking approval from other people that are just as broken and as jacked up as you and I, you can actually have the approval of the God of the universe. Have you ever thought about the fact that through the blood of Christ, God delights in you. You. He sees you. He's smiling upon you. Why? Because you're all that and a bag of chips? No, it's because Jesus has died in your place. You now have his righteousness and God's delight, his smile, his love is on you. You have the approval of God. You don't have to run around seeking the approval of others. If they like you, that's wonderful. If they don't, audience are one. Audience of one, right? You don't have to have control over everything and everyone. Why? Because you worship the God who's in control of all things. So you can rest. You can rest. You can enjoy God. Since there's only one true God, there is only one way of forgiveness, though. Make no mistake about it. Because there's no one else to make the offer of pardon. And so we go after all these other gods, but Jesus comes so that he can make a way for us to come to this one true God. Have you turned from your sin? Have you placed your trust, your faith in Christ so that you can go to this one true God who offers you everything in the one true God? Have you done that? If you've not done that, that's your first step, right? He will set you free from your sin. And for those of us who have, we have tasted and we've seen that God is good. We have received this grace. We've received this forgiveness. What are you to do? You're to glorify him with everything in your life. You're to worship him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Because why? Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to God the Father except through him. He's the only way because there's only one God and he's made that way. All paths, listen, all paths ultimately do lead to this one true God. And you might be thinking, oh, yeah, you should. You better be paying attention. They do. Everyone will stand before this one true God. As a matter of fact, you don't even have an option as to whether you're going to glorify this one true God. You will either glorify him in his judgment on you, or you will glorify him in his mercy on you through the blood of Christ. You don't have a choice. But... Listen, only through Christ can you actually have everlasting life with God the Father. Have you put your trust in Christ? And if you have, worship him, enjoy him for all that he is. Listen, Jesus said in John 7, 37 and 38, he says, if anyone thirsts, now I want you to think about this. You and I, we thirst. We we have a, a youth ministry, it's called Crave. You know why? Because every heart 
craves something or someone. And we want you to crave Christ. But we can't do that. But we pray that God would just flip the light switch in your heart, in your mind, to cause you to long for Him. Because it's in Christ that you will actually find real satisfaction. Your cravings that you long for will actually be satisfied. So He stands up at the end of this feast and Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, and we all do, this is why we're all drinking either broken cisterns or the fountain of living water. He says, if anyone thirsts, He says, let him come to me and drink, Jesus says. And whoever believes in me, he says, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Have you drank from this fountain? Have you? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Have you realized that when you're in his presence, the fullness of joy forevermore is so true for you? If you haven't, you're probably drinking from a broken cistern and it cannot satisfy you. And today, right now, is the time to turn from it. Quit drinking from the broken cisterns of life. Drink from the fountain that God supplies through Jesus Christ alone. And then he gives you the spirit. See, the beauty of the gospel is that he then takes out your wretched heart. And he gives you a new one. One that walks in obedience to him. Which leads us to our last point. Jesus through his substitutionary death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, has made a way for idolatrous sinners to come and drink from the fountain of living water and experience everlasting joy in the presence of this one true God. Man, this is so good. I I want you to set all your affections on Christ. See, we glorify him when we enjoy him. Are you enjoying God? If not, Start there. Start with confession. Start with saying, God, I I know that I'm to drink from you, but I've been drinking from many different things. Lord, forgive me. Awaken my spiritual taste buds. Cause me to long to drink from the fountain of living water. Cause my heart to overflow so much so that every time I come in contact with anyone that I can tell them of this good news so that they may come and drink from living water and have satisfaction in you. Because everyone on this earth is thirsty and only Christ is going to satisfy that thirst. Have you had your thirst quenched in Christ? Have you? And if you haven't, go to Christ now and drink deeply. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.